empathy is an extremely useful emotion and I want to figure out how I can cultivate that as a feeling and as a value in the world and in the work that I do. And I feel like that we're doing that a lot with Beyond the Dollar and highlighting all of these stories, sharing ours, all the good stuff. Welcome to Beyond the Dollar, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. I'm Sarah Lee Kane. And I'm Garrett Philbin. We want to give you space to explore your relationship with money. The guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear, no topic is taboo. And in this episode, we chat about how we used money to get a high ROH, return on happiness. We talk about what it means to work in a meaningful job, examples of when we didn't love our work, and how we worked through it. We also include examples on what you can do to create a career path you love. Now, before we start this week's episode, we want to talk about our obsession with books. Sarah and I are huge fans of the books because they've had a massive impact on our financial lives. In fact, when we first met, we bonded over the book, The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist, which is all about how to transform your relationship to money. And here's some good news. You can read it for free. Okay, well, not reading unless you count listening to an audiobook as reading. Either way, right now, you can actually get two free audiobooks by signing up for a free trial of Audible. You'll get a free 30-day trial, which you can cancel anytime before those 30 days, and you won't get charged. Plus, you'll get to keep the two books absolutely free. And if you stay on, memberships start at $15 a month, which includes one audiobook a month, plus a 30% discount on additional ones. To start your free trial and nab those two free audiobooks, head on over to www.beyondthedollar.co backslash audible. That's www.beyondthedollar.co backslash A-U-D-I-B-L-E. And to check out resources we shared in this episode, including a guide to using your values to help you in your financial decisions, head over to www.beyondthedollar.co. Okay, get ready, grab a seat, and let's go Beyond the Dollar. It's season three! <laughs> what up, kids? We're back. Guess who's back? Uh, I can't sing too much of that song. We'll no. have to pay royalties, but you know what I'm I, referencing. And we did that thing at the beginning of season two. So do you don't want to repeat yourself, Garrett? Don't tell anyone. Yeah, you're right. All righty. All right. So if you are a first-time listener, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. We are mm-hmm. very goofy most of the time. So if you don't like that, then unfortunately, you're the wrong Get place. Get out of here. Yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> but if you've been listening to us for a while, welcome back. We are so, so excited to be starting season three off. You may also notice that in the intro to the podcast, there's a little bit of extra stuff going on there. And we just want to take a really quick moment to explain that. Uh, number one, it does cost money to produce a podcast. It's true. It does cost money. It's and not time. free. Yes, and time. And Garrett and I are super stoked to continue beyond the dollar, and we want to continue mm-hmm. beyond the dollar. However, we do need some money for that, as in pay our editor, <laughs> <laughs> other things like that. Yeah, and just to clarify, like we could totally fund this on our own if we wanted to, but we just wanted to be able to spend our time doing things that we feel are our highest value that we can bring to it. So for example, Sarah is amazing at bringing guests on and doing a lot of the outreach for that. And I want to be able to spend a lot of my time to get on other podcasts, to spread the awareness of what's going on with Beyond the Dollar, share what we're up to. 
And so by outsourcing the different tasks of editing, social media posts, putting together show notes, that'll allow us to do those highest value tasks that we have. And then, you know, it's just important for us to be able to do those things. So that's why it's like, yeah, we could pay for it for ourselves, but Hey, you know, we want to be able to use our time um, and our resources in other ways. So we just really appreciate you guys being understanding and that that's something that we're now doing for season three. Yeah. And really to support us, it's totally free for everyone out there, except for the potential sponsors. And of course the people are going to pay us like the companies, but for listeners, completely free. I mean, Audible is free and it's awesome because you get two free eBooks with the month's trial and you do get to keep those books even if you don't decide to continue the paid membership for it. And it totally really transitions very well, I think, Garrett, into today's topic. God, we did such a good job. I know. We we did not rehearse this. I think we just just kind of like vibe on the same wavelength. Oh man, I sound like I'm high, but anyway. <laughs> no, it's called synchronicity. <laughs> there synchronicity, you go, there you my go. friend. <laughs> so today's topic is all about the idea of making money that gives you the best return on your happiness. And in the previous episode, we had Lisa Peterson on, which is, who's amazing, by the way, and she really talked about the idea of right livelihood. So Garrett, do you remember what that means and how is it relevant to how we make money? So what I remember is that right livelihood is the idea of you making money in a way that feels in alignment with your values and what matters to you is kind of the most basic definition. What would you add to that, if anything? So the idea of right livelihood really comes from the Buddhist tradition. And so it really also talks about or references doing no harm when you do make money. And so Hmm. it could be Maybe you don't work in a meat processing plant because you don't want to harm animals. It could be working with a company that does sustainable materials because it helps the planet. Or maybe it's aligning yourself with a company that's really transparent and authentic because maybe lying is a way that hurts other people. So that's really what it what it really um, boils down to. So Garrett, I am interested in mm-hmm. your journey, transition, current status on the idea of right livelihood, right? Because we talk a lot about money needs to be meaningful or have a purpose for us to really have a, a happy life. So how are you making money in that sense? Wow, that's been a journey. You know, um, after college, I took two years and volunteered full time and That wasn't necessarily paying the bills, uh, although I did have housing paid for and food paid for, which made it work. And that was really fulfilling. A year before that, I'd worked in the restaurant industry, which was fun, but not very fulfilling. But that was something where I realized, wow, I really love to teach. I love to mentor. I love to give back in some way, shape or form. And that really stuck in my mind when I went and moved to New York because I was volunteering in Portland and started working in the music industry which didn't necessarily feel in alignment with what I love to do, what really filled my cup. And it's not necessarily that there were evil things going on. So it's not necessarily the do no harm aspect that I'm going to highlight of there, but it just really didn't feel good, to be honest. I didn't feel like I was doing the work that I really loved to do, but yet at the same time, I knew I went to school for music business. It was my degree. What the hell else would I do? And so I just stuck with it. And, you know, looking back on it now, my mind 
was telling me things that I should have, or I could have listened to, but didn't. I just powered through, continued to work in the industry for four to five years and didn't really listen to that voice until finally five years in of like, Hmm, this isn't really what you like to do. You aren't that great at the business side because you don't love it. But I just kind of powered through. And I think a lot of people find themselves in that position where they don't listen to that voice in in their head. They don't listen to their feelings, don't listen to their body telling them, hey, this isn't really working. And I've certainly struggled with that for for a while to actually step back and just listen because that can be really scary. Yeah. And it's so interesting. And this is a total generalization. I get the feeling, and I know I bought into this story as well, is that you separate work and life and it's okay to hate your job because it's work. Like I'm going to put that in air quotes, it's work. And so, you know, very stereotypically somebody comes home, oh man, it's been a hard day. I need a drink or I'm just going to plop in front of the TV and zone out. And people are spending 40 plus hours a week doing that. And now I'm not saying that I don't get tired or stressed in what I do now. Clearly um, it happens quite a lot, (laughs) but... I also am doing something that I find extremely meaningful. And and when I was a teacher, it was an extremely meaningful job as well. And so I did power through some of those really stressful times. So I'm just wondering what your take on somebody staying in a job because it's that's what they're supposed to do. Like, what do you think about that? I mean, that's a tough one. There are so many factors that could go into that. So I certainly am not going to take the tact of, oh, if you don't love your job, just quit. There is so much privilege that comes with that perspective. You know, also in my position, I had no kids that I know about. I had no, I was not in a relationship. Sarah's just laughing at that. Sorry, guys. Uh, Mm. I was in a, wasn't in a relationship. I had no one relying on me. So I could kind of do whatever I wanted. And I know that so many people aren't in that position. I think what I would say is whenever you don't feel that what you're doing is good, I liked your example, Sarah, where you come home from a long day and you're like, oh, work sucks. I need a drink to escape. Or when people say I'm living for the weekend, you know, just survive the nine to five and then go and party on the weekends or go and live your life on the weekends. Everything that's coming in is data. And so if you listen to that data, you'll probably hear that that's not working for you. And so I think that you just have to look at all of the information coming in and really start to listen. And it can be really, really scary to listen because it may be telling you it's not just that your job doesn't work, but your relationship that you're in might not work. Like the way you've established your life might not work. And we get very attached as human beings to this is how my life needs to look. And we set expectations and we have this whole idea of what it should be like. And then we get attached to it. And then if the need comes around to actually change that to be happier, we're like, well, no, I couldn't do that at all. And I'm grappling with this a little bit in my life too, which is why it's very relevant right now. But I think that's the biggest thing is just to really listen. And it can be hard when we're entrenched in our habits and what we think we should do and in this life that we're attached to, but just starting to listen, right? To recognize that that is data and just open up your ears to it. What do you hear in that? I was like, way to be a Dougie Downer, Garrett. (laughs) I'm totally kidding. It's so true. Everything you're saying is totally resonating with me and many, many people that I talk to. And Mm -hmm. What's really coming up for me is this is something that I have done in the past and I will totally admit it is that 
when I'm like, oh, I'm just going to work. I'm just going to be present. Like I'm just a warm body in the classroom and I'm going to do what I need to do, do the bare minimum and then go home. Now, is that really fair to the company? Is that mm. fair to your boss? Now, again, I was a teacher. Is that fair to these children that I'm teaching and I'm having a massive impact on their education, right? Is that fair? And so I remember I was having like a particularly bad day. I don't really, gosh, I don't remember why, but that voice, it, it, I call it God because it just, it's like this really booming male voice. Sometimes it just, I, I sound like I'm crazy right now, but sometimes it'd be like, hey, Sarah. Okay, that's not a good male voice. <laughs> <laughs> I can do a good Batman God voice. If you, hey, Sarah. Okay, there you go. Thank cool. you. Thank you, Gary. We'll go with that. This is, You're welcome. This is why I need you around <laughs> is for that. <laughs> is, yeah, basically what was like, is this fair to those people around you? And so maybe right livelihood isn't necessarily about what's meaningful to you, but maybe what's mm. meaningful to other people. Right. Like, yes, I did get into the teaching profession because I wanted to travel and I got a lot of summer holidays off. I mean, let's be honest with that, too. Right. But at the same time, I feel and I still feel a sense of responsibility to the people that I taught. And I keep in touch with a lot of the students. One of them is turning 18. Oh, my gosh. It makes me feel so freaking old. But once I realized I was like, OK, I got to like get over my shit and whatever I'm worried about today or getting mad at about today and just be present at my job. And I urge people out there, this is totally not a judgment call on anyone, but I urge you to think like, if you hate this job, are you doing the people around you a disservice? And if you are, what can you do right now, even though you can't quit or can't change your circumstance, what can you do right now to not do a disservice to those people around you. So do you feel right now with what you're doing, a sense of it can be right livelihood, it can be in alignment, just kind of what has that journey been? I'm kind of curious as you transitioned from teaching into what you're doing now, how you've navigated that transition and maybe less how you've navigated it, but just how you've kind of danced with this idea of right livelihood and being in alignment with how you make money in what you're doing now. Yeah, so this is something that has been repeatedly coming up for the last couple of months. And both Gary and I were at a conference a few weeks ago, and this topic came up again and again with a lot of people I was talking to is this idea of responsibility. And I, and I talked about it, what, a few minutes ago about being responsible for these children. I feel a sense of responsibility in everything that I do. And whenever it comes to work, I have this pervasive sense of responsibility. And so when I first started freelance writing, I mean, I wrote about anything and everything under the sun. I talked about writing about zombies. And now that I'm in a position where I can be pickier about the clients that I work with, the types of topics that I can write about, the type of campaigns I'm part of helping you know, with companies, I think about that sense of responsibility. And it's really has to do with like, is what I'm helping with really going to be useful or valuable to those out there, right? Is it going to be helpful? And if it's not, like, I need to be responsible enough to say no to that because if I'm not creating something useful, I'm just creating garbage. And there's already so much out there on the internet, out in the world that, like, I don't need to be contributing to that shit. Like, <laughs> like so... 
For example, I write some pretty boring articles about banks. Okay, not the most fun thing to write about. I geek out on it now because I get to kind of grill customer service and read fine print. Hmm. But I'm, you know, anyways. <laughs> and I remember wanting to stop doing those or asking my editor for other topics. But I'm thinking, okay, let's go back to the idea of responsibility. Why would people look for these types of articles? Because they're looking for better banks. Why are they looking for better banks? Maybe looking for a better rate. They want to refinance their mortgage, right? How's it going to help them? How is my role in writing this article giving me a sense of responsibility? Number one, if they read this article and find the best rate, maybe they're that much closer to saving for a down payment, or maybe they're going to save thousands of dollars because they're refinancing a mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. And when I, when I ask myself those questions, I go, okay, yes, these may be what I think are boring articles, but they can maybe very, very useful to other people. And I'm pretty damn good at writing these articles, so why not continue? Hmm. I'll also say responsibility for others is something that, I mean, with my own value system, I think is important, but it also is important to be responsible for your own health your own wellness, your own well-being. I kind of got that from what you were saying of if you aren't able to be a good version of yourselves in front of the kids, you know, that ties back to responsibility. And so in these conversations, it quickly does say, what is my responsibility to others? And there is that sense where it's like, you know, we have to be doing something that does good in the world. And I think I think that is important and to varying degrees of however you want to do that in your own life. But responsibility to yourself, I think, is very important as well, because like at the end of the day, everyone is a valuable human being. And so you need to value yourself and you need to be responsible for your own health and well-being or else if you aren't, then you won't be in a position to consistently serve other people. I think I have witnessed this in myself and in others this want to support others and give to others, but yet my cup not really being full. And so then resentment builds up and the underlying foundation isn't set. So I think it is important with responsibility to make sure the lens is also focused on yourself too. I completely agree. Do you have an example you want to share about that? <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, so an example of this that's kind of going on right now is over the past year, uh, or I started about 14 months ago, a Facebook group for financial coaches. And it just started because I wrote an article, pretty long article, a couple of years ago about what financial coaching is, how to start your own firm, and a lot of people were reaching out to me about it. I started being the bottleneck and answering questions, so I started a Facebook group and then a lot of people started joining and more people joined and more people joined. And I kind of felt a responsibility to, Hey, I'm the person who started this group. I need to be the person who does X, Y, Z, who does everything. And then I just felt this responsibility to do these things, but ultimately I wasn't doing it in a way that I loved. Like I'm not someone who wants to be in a Facebook group every moment of every day. My attention gets really fragmented. So I was trying to do this thing which came from a good place because I realized the impact I had on people, but I was just frustrated as hell with it. I wasn't enjoying it. And it was all out of this place of, oh my gosh, I have to, or I should do this. 
And ultimately then I was resenting it and I wasn't being as creative as I could be. I wasn't asking other people for support. I wasn't enrolling them. And so just recently, really, I've been like, how do I want to show up in this group? How do I want to support people? And then asking them how they want to be supported and really being honest and listening to that voice that said, dude, you don't like doing it the way you're doing it now. And being okay, stepping out of the group for a couple of weeks and not really being engaged allowed me to really get present to what it is that I wanted. Now I can come back with more fun and energy and people are noticing that. So it was just an example of like, yep, got to get me right. Got to go trust that what I want to do in this group and how I want to show up is okay. And that may be different than how someone else will show up, but I need to honor what it is that I want and need. I love that. And I, there are two things that came up. Number one was maybe you do have a meaningful job or you do have a meaningful business or a way you make money, but maybe parts of it aren't aligning with your values. And so it does really require ruthless observation and reflection for that to happen. I mean, I really love what I do and I just feel so damn lucky to to be able to wake up every morning and, and work with some amazing companies. But there are aspects of it I'm not, I don't love. I'm going to be honest, right? And it just requires me to sit back and be like, what parts of it I don't love? Is it something that has to be done? And if it does, is there some other way I can approach it, right? Number two is what I'm also getting at is like when you said you had better energy coming into it. Did you notice any differences in your income or the way you earned the money? Ooh, it hasn't been super long since I've done that, but I did recently in the group launch a program where I'm coaching other coaches. And just the way that I was able to show up in sharing that I was putting on that program, it was a lot lighter. It was like, oh, I'll reach out to people. I was posting in the group. I was doing videos. I was sending voice memos to people of just engaging them that way. And it felt a lot lighter. And so even though I think for the launch, I didn't get as many people in the group that I wanted. It's funny. It turns out that the number of people that I got was actually perfect because if it had been the number who I wanted, I'm realizing, oh man, if I had to navigate eight people in a conversation in the 75 minutes, I kind of would have been screwed. So it's kind of funny also, just as a side note, sometimes we think we know what we want and need, but then we don't, you know? And if we're open and show up in the way that feels good and right, then we will actually get what we need, which isn't always what we think it is. Huh, that's so interesting. So I started writing more lifestyle pieces and personal essays. I'm shifting to more reported journalism type pieces. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll link to a few of those in the show notes. I just want to really continue what we're doing with the podcast, but in written form in terms of interviewing people in underserved communities and just giving people opportunity to share their stories. Anyway, so they typically don't pay as well as some of the corporate writing, right? But I've been able to really put so much good juju in terms of writing for current clients and that I've been pitching some really interesting, according to them, interesting ideas or we'll just get on a phone call and just kind of shoot the breeze. And then I'd start talking about like, oh man, would this be an interesting story idea? This is what's going on with me. How can we relate this to healthcare or taxes, my different personal finance topics. And I'm finding that more people are wanting to hire me than I have the capacity for in terms of that type of work. And so I have noticed my income increasing in that way, but it feels so good to like say, man, I have some pretty good ideas that brands are willing to listen to me and I can have some really 
deep and meaningful conversation with some editors that probably wouldn't have had before. So do you think that you being able to bring up these conversations is a result of the time that you've put in and the relationships that you've built? Or do you think that you could have brought these up maybe earlier, just if you had brought the same sense of confidence that you have now to the table and they would have been willing to engage in those conversations, right? So is it partly story that you had to wait this long and establish those relationships or not? I think it's a bit of both. If you meet me in person, I'm pretty sure I can get you to open up and tell me your entire life story. I think Garrett's kind of witnessed that a little bit. Like, I mean, I, I kind of like teared up over a story that this a future guest is actually going to share with us, which I'm yeah. really excited about. And I was like, man, this was like after five minutes of meeting you, right? So I think a lot of it really had to do with my confidence. I, I wasn't in a position earlier in the year, even last year, to even think beyond where am I going to make my next buck? Right. And, and I'm not saying that I was like living paycheck to paycheck or anything. I just was in that mindset of like, I got to get, I got to get the money. I got to get the money. I don't care what kind of job it is. I don't care who I work with. I just want to make this money. Right. And so the work wasn't necessarily meaningful. I mean, I had some really, again, really great clients, but the work didn't feel meaningful. And now that I'm in this position where I'm kind of like, okay, I'm in a pretty good spot. Most of that stress is cleared away in terms of like, where am I going to get my next buck? I feel like now that that kind of cloud over my head, is that the phrase? Anyway, something, whatever over my head is gone. My head feels clear and I feel like, oh man, I'm so excited about these topics and I'm so excited about sharing this. Again, that sense of responsibility coming back again, like how can I approach this topic in a fresh way where people do get bought into it that I'm like so excited to share with editors, with anyone and everyone about what it is that I'm doing. And to get some clarification there, I know that there was a lot, I think, on your shoulders and just on your plate, right? You were moving when you say I was looking to make a buck or I was really hustling to make money. You know, I know because I've been in conversation with you that that was tied back to certain values and goals, right? Wanting to have Logan in daycare more and wanting to like move. So being able to, again, even though I think it, you said it kind of as an offhand comment, that the reason you wanted to make money was because of these certain things that were priorities and were aligned with what you value. Yes. Okay. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It was definitely, I didn't want to make more money just for more money, although more money is nice, right? But yes, there was definitely a reason for that. And it had a lot to do with my values of curiosity, lifelong learning, adventure, and Having a kid is definitely an adventure, so I'm living that value out. <laughs> but the idea of instilling a sense of curiosity in my child, I, I knew that having him at home with me all day, every day wasn't the healthiest for either one of us. And so, yes, I wanted to make more money to basically invest in childcare for my sanity and his, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I also want to add to that when I, this was a few years ago when I transitioned into full-time, I was also moving halfway across the world. So moving from China to the U.S., we started paying for a lot of things we didn't pay for in China. Now, housing was one of them, which housing is probably what, the most, arguably the most expensive line item budget in anyone's yeah. budget. So to go from not having paying that for like 10 plus years to, oh my gosh, we have rent and we're responsible for it. What do we do? <laughs> Adulting, right? <laughs> was was a bit shocking. Things were more expensive in the US, obviously, compared to China. And so it was like kind of like shock to my budget, I, I guess you can say, 
put me in that mindset of, oh man, where's my next dollar coming from? And I think I was just too stuck in that at the moment to really think beyond that. So now it sounds like you're more settled for sure. And you're able to take on these projects or pitch these projects that are really in alignment with what is interesting to you and what you want to be doing. And so looking forward, right, what are your hopes and intentions with what you're doing moving forward? Oh my gosh, Garrett, that's such a loaded question. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I'm, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing now. I am so freaking excited and happy to just geek out on personal finance and to see how the work that I'm making and creating has really impacted people. I still get emails from the old site high-fiving dollars about articles that I've written. I mean, I've hopped on phone calls with readers before. And so it, it's just really exciting to kind of see that where I'm like, oh, here's an offhanded comment I made about this tool. And now they're using it. And it's completely changed the way they approach money. It's just really exciting. So if, if there's any way I can increase my reach and to do more of that on a bigger scale, that would be, I'd say, what I want to do differently. What about you? Hmm. Well, I'm going to steal the answer that you wrote down in our <laughs> notes, uh, which I thought was great, which is continue to engage and facilitate conversations around money, life, empathy, behaviors, emotions, et cetera. That's what this podcast is all about. It's what I'm finding is really fun. So at FinCon, which was the conference Sarah mentioned we were at, uh, did a talk with Lisa Peterson, again, who we had on in season one, I think it was episode five, around money and emotions and behaviors and patterns and just helping not just my clients discover that and engage in those conversations, but having those discussions with financial coaches, with financial planners, with financial advisors, and finding ways to expand that reach. Because to me, starting a dialogue is really, really important. And the one-on-one -on -one work is incredibly fun and rewarding. And I want to continue to expand my reach by just kind of planting seeds, which is, I think, what we do really well here of letting people know, hey, these conversations are happening. Here are things that are going on with people in the world. And yes, they're having the same issues and challenges and struggles and also successes and things going well that you can then look at and learn from and use as a guide. So that's really moving forward. I would like to find a really good balance between connecting with people on a one-on-one -on -one level because that still really does resonate with me. And I also just love kind of being out there and being a kind of face and voice and dancer <laughs> and dancer. I mean, literally just triple threat. My God, how does he do Wait, it it's all? It's quadruple because there's that voice now, right? So Because there's that voice, yeah, yeah. And, and really, like, I, I feel as I'm doing more of what I love consistently, it gives me more confidence to show up in a way that is wholly and authentically myself. And I think that that authenticity and vulnerability can connect with people and allow them to see that that's possible for themselves in these conversations around money. I freaking love that. And I love it even more that you stole what I wrote in the notes. Cause <laughs> well, if, you, if you aren't going to say it, I mean, you're just going <laughs> to team me up with some awesome line. I'm definitely going to take that because, you know, that's also the history of, you know, the male and female dynamic. Yeah. You do great work. I'll steal it. <laughs> you know, we'll talk about that on another episode. Yeah. Why Garrett steals my shit all the time. <laughs> um, I do want to circle back to the word empathy. I'm like legit obsessed with this word right now. 
there's a really great book and I cannot remember the author, but I'll stick it in the show notes. It's actually called Empathy and Why That Will Change the World. And a really interesting story, the beginning of the book was this, I think this was in the 50s or 60s, I can't remember now, but she was part of an advertising company or a brand agency. And she had posed this question of like, oh, have we ever thought about, I think it was, have we ever thought about the older population in terms of how easy it is for them to open and close refrigerators? And I think the people in there laughed at her and said, oh, we're, we're not targeting those people. So anyways, what she ended up doing was dressing up as an 80-year-old woman and basically trying to see what it felt like to open cans. Anyway, so if you have like a potato peeler with those really thick rubber handles. It's mm-hmm. basically because of this woman. And she sort of, I think she revolutionized the the design niche in terms of like stuff like that, which is anyway. So I would love to just throw up there that empathy is an extremely useful emotion. And I want to figure out how I can cultivate that as a as a feeling and as a value in the world and in the work that I do. And I feel like that we're doing that a lot with Beyond the Dollar and highlighting all of these stories, sharing ours, all the good stuff. Yeah. And if listeners have any ideas of how you can continue to do that, would you want them to reach out to you? Yes, Garrett. Of course <laughs> I do. Now, God, I'm so good at prompting. <laughs> Number one, email us, hello at beyondthedollar.co. You can most certainly hit us up on Instagram. I am publicly saying this, I'm committing more to being on Instagram at Beyond the Dollar. Also, just for everyone out there, if you guys or or ladies are interested in figuring out what your values are, if you're like, oh, I don't know what they are. I can't really, I don't have any idea what you guys are talking about. How am I supposed to incorporate values into my work? We do have a values-based spending guide that you can go to beyondthedollar.co. Now, values-based spending guide is also, can be also be used in how you make money as well. So just because you have a list of like five to 10 values in how you spend your money doesn't mean you can't use them to guide other aspects of your life. So definitely check that out. So Garrett, before we wrap up, because we ask guests, we might as well ask each other, how Mm -hmm. are you living beyond the dollar in your career? Wow. And now I know why guests give us the deer in headlights look when we ask them this question. (laughs) Really, at least right now, the way I'm using money to how am I living beyond the dollar in my career, I'm really taking the money that I earn and putting a lot of it back into personal development. And that right now is so important to me. I'm finding that by putting the money back into myself, whether it's through coaching, whether it's through Landmark, they do personal development, and I'm just able to discover more about myself. Therapy has been on the list. I'm able to discover more about myself. And in that discovery, I'm then able to engage with people on a different level. I'm able to have the confidence to speak truth into what's going on in their lives, allow them to reframe the challenges that they're facing in different ways. And so it's just, it's been really interesting that I have really prioritized the money that I've made to go back into personal development. And it means that like, okay, well, I'm going to buy a $1,000 car rather than a nicer car because I'm spending my money on these other things that really are a priority. And so for right now, that's how I'm really, really enjoying using the money that I'm earning as a money coach to be able to grow as a human being, and then more effectively serve the people who I work with. So, Sarah, <laughs> yes. I went 
How about you? How are you living beyond the dollar in your career? I purposely created the career that I did. So I have not ultimate flexibility, but my version of ultimate flexibility, which is I want to stop what I'm doing and have a dance party with my son because he's going crazy with Baby Shark. I'm going to pretty much darn well do that. Now, as we're recording, I probably don't have that flexibility, but he's he's not here right now. So I can have <laughs> uninterrupted conversations. But that's really one of those things where I do look forward to dance parties. Um, my son likes to cook now. He's pretty obsessed with cooking. So we made coleslaw for lunch. And that's really it. I love that. What I hear is flexibility, right? the ability to be present for the people that you love. You know, it allows you a space to be creative with them, dance parties, cooking. So those is values that are important to you and that you're able to get out of how you've built your career, which is really, really cool. Thanks. I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, everyone, thank you for listening to season three, episode one of Beyond the Dollar. If you mm -hmm. haven't already, please subscribe. Or head over to beyondthedollar.co for a gazillion references that we will have in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond the Dollar. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Also, if you feel like putting your money towards the things that really matter as a challenge for you, then download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters most to you in life, be able to name your most important values and start thinking about how to only put your money toward those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to www.beyondthedollar.co. Thank you again so much for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar.